0: This is an ABC podcast. This episode is about suicide. If you need to talk to someone, you can call
1: Lifeline on 13 11 14. And if you want more resources about youth suicide, go to headspace.org.au.
2: So Luca was um, struggling for about six months. His friends made me aware that... Well, actually, they made a youth centre aware that he was harming himself. Luca was hiding it. He would wear big sloppy joes and things like that. So as soon as I knew that, I asked him if he was harming himself to try and ease his emotional pain or whether he was trying to end his life. I was quite direct because I've been trained as a counsellor, so I knew some of the questions to ask. And he was very open and honest and said that he was trying to end his life. And so I took him to hospital. Lucas spent a couple of nights in a paediatric ward while he waited for a bed to be available in the Adolescent Mental Health Unit. He was admitted there, and that was on a Friday afternoon, but by Monday morning they called me and said that they were going to discharge him. And they had some reasons for why they felt they needed to do that. And I understood their reasons. However, I think, you know, the well-being of Luca was really at a really critical point and believed that he shouldn't have been discharged. And unfortunately, three weeks later, he ended his life. So, yeah, it was pretty devastating, really.
0: Hello, I'm Maggie Dent, and that's my friend, Selena. Selena and I live in the same community, and in 2020, her son died by suicide. And so did quite a few other young adults and teens in our town. Suicide is a massive problem all over Australia and around the world without a simple solution. In this episode of Parental as Anything, I want to at least get you comfortable with discussing suicide and suicidal tendencies because it's a problem that thrives in our silence and discomfort. Together, we can change that. Suicide is the leading cause of death among young people in Australia. Sadly, it's incredibly common, as are suicidal thoughts and ideation. And you know what? When I was 18, I came very close to ending my own life. It was an impulsive moment when I was a uni student and I failed my first essay ever. Thank goodness I survived. That impulsivity of some suicides is one of the challenges I want to talk about with Associate Professor Matt Coleman. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist and also a commissioner with the National Mental Health Commission. Matt, let's start with some figures. What are the statistics around suicide in Australia telling us today?
3: Well, whenever I'm talking about statistics, I guess I just need to acknowledge that these are cold, brutal numbers and um, recognising that they represent real people. But um, unfortunately, from the 15 to 19 year, year age range, suicide remains a leading cause of death in young people. For the 15 to 17 age group, that's been fairly stable, if not slightly increasing over the past sort of 10 to 20 years. But more concerningly, in the the slightly older age range from 18 to 24, it's increased by about 50%, and that's over the last 10 years.
0: A 50% increase in that 18 to 24-year-old age bracket. What's happening there?
3: It's really difficult to understand... Exactly, We can get lots of risk factors and when you apply those risk factors to any one person, it then becomes extraordinarily difficult to try and predict if someone's going to, uh, unfortunately, make that rare event happen and complete suicide. But there are risk factors and... And I think it speaks to the complexity of adolescent development. It's probably the most tumultuous time in anyone's life. There's a lot going on, whether it be biologically, psychologically, in the way in that you're developing your sense of self, where you're finding yourself in the world and society and amongst your peers and friends. There's been a problems with young people being able to access services and whether that's associated with the stigma and discrimination and reluctance to go and seek help. There's been a boom in youth-friendly services, and so access has increased and improved, but we're not accessing necessarily those most at risk. Whether there's issues around the supportive structure of families and friends, we know that the disruption in family environments has a real adverse impact and and is a, a factor related in people's lives who do complete suicide. And so it's this confluence of, of risk factors and then it gets, you know, we start to distill it getting into the nitty-gritty around people's mental health and, you know, issues around low self-worth and uh, the impact of bullying and certainly bullying can happen a lot easier now than it happened when I was growing up, you know, then it was just on the bus and in the schoolyard, now it's on the phone and in your bedroom and wherever you go and so it's... Um, Uh, increasingly more complex than when I grew up. And when you're living in a a global world and you're seeing these um, idealised fantasies of what you should be doing and life's not meeting those expectations and you start to get down and feel depressed, we know that... um, Some mental illnesses like depression and psychosis, if that's um, what's occurring in your life, but particularly depression, left untreated, left to its own devices, it's directly proportional to the the amount of suicidal ideation that you have and subsequently increases your risk of self-harm and suicide. So there's no one issue, and that's not to say that a person can't experience all of those things and never have an issue with suicide. So uh, I sometimes describe to grieving family and friends that it it can be a perfect storm for someone that leads to them deciding that that's their only option and it's a tragic outcome and, and and it requires our attention, our immediate attention.
0: I now want to return to my friend, Selena, whose son, Luca, died by suicide. Here, she bravely talks about some of the challenges that he faced. He
2: was a really beautiful person inside and out. All his friends said to me after he passed, he was such a beautiful soul and they were so sweet. They would say things like, thank you for raising such a beautiful boy. He was such a beautiful soul and things like that. And, you know, perhaps a lot of these beautiful, sensitive kids are the ones that end up in these sorts of situations. I'm not sure, but he was very caring and funny and cheeky. And he was really smart. He was really intelligent. It's really hard to win an argument with him. He did struggle a bit socially, probably. He. You know, sort of didn't fit in any of the typical groups like the sporty group or the gaming group. You know, he was an individual, I guess, and, you know, he had a, a few really close friends, but he didn't have like a big group that he was a part of, and I think that was probably quite hard for him. He did feel lonely sometimes. He was quite emotional. He did have highs and lows. He did suffer from anxiety. I remember, you know, many years ago he had an anxiety attack. Um, we thought it was allergies at first, but then we realised he was actually having an anxiety attack. So there was definitely some anxiety there. And, yeah, those last six months there was depression and a lot of suicidality. But up until then he'd been pretty happy-go-lucky but with anxiety. That probably a bit of a contradiction. But he, I guess he appeared happy-go-lucky and he tried to keep everyone happy. So he was always trying to do the right thing and... um And he actually voiced this to me once, you know, that he, you know, he's always trying to keep everyone happy. So there was probably some pressure there that he put on himself in that regard, and perhaps from other people as well.
0: That's pretty tough to listen to, huh? Dr. Claire Kelly is the Director of Research and Curriculum at Mental Health First Aid Australia, an organisation working to support people with mental health problems and empower loved ones to support them. Now Claire, if a person confides to you that they're feeling suicidal, other than staying as calm as possible, what is the next thing we say?
1: Oh, first of all, how wonderful to know that you've created the kind of relationship where a young person is able to to come directly to you. And, you know, probably a really good reason why if someone says that they're not having thoughts of suicide, you You let them know that they could come to you another time if that ever does happen. But, uh, look, it's really important that thoughts of suicide aren't managed just between yourself and the young person. They may be saying, well, look, I was willing to talk to you, but I'm not willing to talk to anybody else. But unless you are a a psychologist or a psychiatrist, (laughs) um, and in fact even then, no one person should be managing all of that by themselves. So it's really important that there is some good professional help sought There are lots of places where you can seek that sort of help, but um, it can be a really good idea to actually give some options, but that none of those options are, well, we just won't do anything then. So it might be, do you want to talk to your GP? How do you feel about talking to the counsellor at school? Would you like us to go together to the headspace um, locally and, and see who might be able to give you some support there? But that none of the answers are, or we can just do nothing and see what happens. It's a little bit like
0: um, when they're little, let's validate how you're feeling right now and yes. really, really, we've got you. I'm going to support you no matter what happens here. So let's just pretend that that is a teenage friend who has been, um, had that disclosure. What
1: happens then? Oh, this is so important. We know that young people do have a tendency to talk to their peers rather than adults about things that are really big not always fortunately but that that can often be the case we always teach young people that your friend's life and their health are more important than their confidentiality and that you absolutely can't agree to keep thoughts of suicide a secret it's um it's really much too important so we talk about responsible and trusted adult Ideally, someone who's in their natural social world rather than seeking a professional right away. That might be someone like the school counsellor because they are part of the more close social world. But, you know, ideally a parent. Not everyone has amazing parents who they can talk to, but most young people do have parents who will move heaven and earth to try to help them in times of, of great trial. And there might be extended family. So there's a lot of different people that you could start off with and if none of that is working then someone like kids helpline can be the next one but it's just so important that if it comes down to no 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 i'll talk to you but i won't talk to anybody else or don't you dare it has to be kept a secret and this is regardless it's not different between young people and adults the answer has to be i care about you too much to keep this a secret and we need to find you some help Now,
0: something that really scares people when talking about suicide is saying or doing the wrong thing. So what should you not do or say when a person tells you they're feeling
1: suicidal? That's a really good question, and there's actually quite a lot of things that we want to not say or not do, but can I actually start by saying the most important thing is to be genuinely caring and do everything you can to be non-judgmental, but there are quite a few things. We certainly, we don't ever want to call someone's bluff about suicide. We don't say, oh, no, you're not. That's, you're just making that up. You're just being dramatic. We We don't talk about people being attention-seeking or just being a bit dramatic. It's really important that we acknowledge that talking about thoughts of suicide is actually strength rather than weakness. It can be tempting to say, you know, toughen up and things like that. Tough love is not really the way to go in a situation like this. We don't tell people, young people, any people, that they shouldn't cry, that they shouldn't have the emotions that that they're having. All feelings are valid. That's really important. We also don't want to get angry uh, or talk about, well, this is incredibly selfish or this is going to ruin your family forever or you'll go to hell if you die by suicide. All of those things that might actually seem at the time to be helpful ways of getting somebody to think differently. In fact, someone who's having thoughts of suicide might really be thinking that their family will be better off without them. So using family as a source of guilt is not going to be helpful in that case. Now, when a friend dies by
0: suicide, the shock combined with grief can be absolutely debilitating, Mm. particularly for young people who've never experienced a death before. I've worked with many teens in this window, and not only validating that emotional pain is important, but what can teachers and parents say and do to support teenagers when a classmate takes their own
1: life? I think it's a really important first step to actually ask young people themselves what sort of support they want. I don't think that there's any one right or wrong way. I think that it's really good to have different opportunities to talk about things or to choose not to, to actually opt out of talking about things. At the same time, making sure that probably there's somebody around who has the capacity to really sort of make a clinical decision about, is this a young person who prefers to process things on their own, or is this a young person who is avoiding processing things and might actually need a little bit more assertive follow-up?
0: Dr. Claire Kelly from Mental Health First Aid, Australia. Matt. In my work as a counsellor many, many years ago, I found that teens can struggle with things that stress them and they gradually build up. And when you combine that with some negative thinking loops, they can reach like a tipping point. Is that something you've seen with teenagers?
3: I think that's the case for all of us, really. (laughs) Um, And I always talk about how much I can put in my bucket. And uh, at some point, my bucket starts to overflow, just like a a young person's bucket. And, you know, you can think that someone's traveling along nicely and just a small stressor seems to tip them over the edge. And that's because their bucket's full and often what's needed is some help, some problem solving, some assistance, a partnership with someone to try and take some of the other stuff out of the bucket so that they can manage with their year 12 exams or a relationship breakup, which has been enough just to tip them over that edge. And you know, one of the key indicators for people, for parents to keep an eye on is the overall functioning of how young people are coping with their day-to-day lives. And the important bits are school and training if they're in a a non-school sort of vocational setting and how they're going socially. Uh, Are they doing their sports? Are they hanging out with their friends, contacting them as much as they used to and um, making sure that young people don't become withdrawn?
0: I think significant changes in behaviour that kind of come together, don't we? And also really want to encourage parents to trust their gut feelings around things when things are starting to change. Don't you reckon that's a, a really important message?
3: It is important, and I think it's one of those, um, it, there's a two sides to that coin. You've got to trust your gut, but also you've got to recognise that sometimes you might be coming fearful. I can think of nothing more fear invoking for a parent than thinking, <laughs> yes. oh my God, my youngsters having thoughts that life's not worth living that can also drive parental behaviour and can do funny funny and not so funny things to parents. And I saw someone recently experienced a significant event um, and their response was to get really angry. And I had mm. to explain that that was because you were extraordinarily fearful and that fight or flight response evoked the, the fight response. And that parent felt really embarrassed and shameful, but we sort of had to unpack that. And so going with your gut's important, but also doing it in a measured and calm way and responding is, is the key.
0: So is it okay to come out and say to your teen, ah, oh, gee, things look a bit tough right now. Do you ever feel like checking out? So is that yes or no?
3: Absolutely yes. You know, there is clear evidence and experience of thousands and thousands of clinicians talking about suicide doesn't put it into somebody's head. And when you carefully talk to young people and that the young person experiences a genuine offer of help and offer of time from an adult, it's that connectivity, that connecting with someone in a calm and genuine way, validating them, engaging with a young person that really counts. But when you ask parents what should they do you often get the opposite you know you need stricter boundaries and we need supervision (laughs) and we need to control and and that's understandable because of the fear but it's recognizing um, your gut and trying to remain calm and engaged is key for parents
0: so Matt let's say that we've got a young person has sought help what options are available for them
3: yeah, I guess the, the first place is an informal place and that's trying to build those informal relationships with safe, caring other adults. And so in a young person's life, that's often family and friends but can also be teachers, school psychologists, coaches, uh, other important adults in a person's life, uh, you know, whether it be informal mentors or the like. From there, you've really got to step up to the clinical services. And it's important that we recognise that although not every young person who has uh, suicidal ideation or deliberate self-harming thoughts has a mental illness, because mental illnesses can be treated, it's really important that we check that out.
0: Matt, what are some of the common hurdles for young people who may experience during treatment for, you know, an ongoing issue that does need help?
3: I think the main one, and we have to be upfront about it, is stigma. The judgment that people experience, whether they're having a mental health problem, whether they're having thoughts about suicide, being labelled as attention-seeking, can really undermine the capacity for uh, a young person to actually put their hand out and ask for help, let alone receive Mm -hmm. help. The issues that we have in Australia around mental health and the stigma and discrimination that people feel, I think, needs national attention, particularly if we're going to make any dent on the over 3,000 lives that are lost every year to suicide. So stigma is the the big one. Beyond that, recognising that not all medical interventions are going to solve the problem. So there are uh, some specific scenarios where medical intervention could be really quite helpful, but there is no cure or pill for every ill. Medication might be a part, but more often it's not. And so going see a health professional is really important to exclude some important things, some medical conditions, some mental health conditions that might be contributing to a person's experience, but it's not the be-all and end-all.
0: So, Matt, what would be your one main message for parents of tweens and teens out there who are worried about their son or daughter?
3: My one main message would be lean into your children. And what I mean by that is not physically, but lean into their life, lean into their experience. Don't give up. Listen, be patient, be reflective and be persistent.
0: I I call it loving them ferociously and unconditionally, especially when they don't deserve it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's great.
0: Matt, thank you so much for your time and also for all that you do for the young people in your care.
3: You're very welcome. Thanks, Maggie.
0: As a parent, it can be very hard to think about death, whether it's our own death or the death of our own children. It's unbearable. So here's my final message, and it's one of hope, We cannot stay silent around worries of suicide. We need to encourage our children to look out for those things and not to keep them a secret. We need to let them know that everyone can have really bad times and struggle in life. And it's only when we reach out and seek help that things can change. So help-seeking behaviour is a really important message to teach your children and your teens. So if your child comes to you and they are expressing suicidal ideation, be as calm as you can. Listen to them, hold them, hug them, love them, and then seek appropriate help because there is help available. Go with them, love them, and keep them following on that pathway to finding the light in their dark life again. Another suggestion is that you can make future plans with a child who feels helpless and hopeless. Maybe together you could write up a dream list of small, achievable plans for connection with no pressure. This could be going to a sneaky middle-of-the-day movie together, getting ice cream, sitting quietly in a park watching ducks, or planning a trip to New Zealand. It's a way to promote connectedness and hope in a really tangible way might be small and yet it might be an effective antidote to the challenges of being treated for a serious mental illness. The biggest protector in terms of human resilience is human connectedness. The more we have, the safer we are. We must teach our kids to reach out when they're struggling and not to hide in silence. Now, if this episode has raised any issues with you or your loved ones, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. And for more resources about youth suicide, go to headspace.org.au. Now, if you're looking for another show that tackles some of these questions relating how to talk about suicide, have a listen to No Feeling Is Final. It's a show for anyone who's ever wondered if life is worth living and for anyone trying to better understand their friend, their partner, their child, who has wrestled with these feelings themselves.
2: Usually when we talk about suicide, we say those four magic words, just ask for help. But I've been there and back and I've found that it's not quite that simple. Turns out the answer is way different to what I thought it would be.
0: You'll find it in exactly the same place you found this episode by searching for No Feeling Is Final on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Parental as Anything... We're looking at how we can help our kids be optimistic in a world of 24-7 bad news.
3: There's an incredible amount of people, apparent in our world and we get a constant news feed about all kinds of threats, existential or otherwise. And our children do need to experience what we often describe as those magic uh, wonder years of childhood. We also need to temper or balance that aspect with an awareness and an acceptance that things can and periodically will happen that children do not like.
0: How much should we share with our kids about frightening news in their own lives and the world around them and at what age that's next on parental as anything with me maggie dent i'll catch you then in the meantime check out the abc everyday group on facebook where there are some great conversations happening all about parenting